Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 113th episode of the podcast. 113. And if you're listening to this in real time or relatively close to its release, then happy official new year. Now that last week's episode probably came to your ears on January 1st, but uh, I recorded it that previous day. So this is my official happy new year to you. Here's to a 2021 that is in some ways, and maybe many ways, better than last year. But I also wanted to touch briefly on last week's podcast because it actually got a lot of traction. Uh, A lot of people listened to it. I had a couple of good interactions because of it, and it was all about resolutions and, you know, not big resolutions, not I resolve to go to some tropical location, even though I've never done that before. I resolve to fish uh, three times a week, every week, regardless of the weather or whatever I have going on. You know, that's not the kind of resolutions that we need to make to have a good fly fishing season. It can be something small. And so that's my encouragement to you is in some small way as the season is just getting underway or if you're the type that waits until springtime to fish, then you have a few months to think about it. Think about it. Consider it. What are some of those things that uh, you can do to make your fishing season better or to make your prep for your fishing season better? Whether you call it a resolution or just something that you're going to be thinking about or focusing on, that's totally up to you. And that's, again, I'm, there's no obligation when you listen to this podcast. I just want you thinking about this stuff uh, if, if, if you want to think about it. So, uh, again, and let me know what those uh, resolutions might be on the website or on social media or email me at matthew at castingacross.com. Similarly, I've had a few recent reviews on the podcast. I appreciate that. That's good stuff. It is helpful for me and for your fellow listeners to make this podcast visible so that people click on it and listen to it. So keep those reviews and ratings on iTunes coming. I like it. 
All right, so today we're going to talk about emotions, feelings. We, we are. We're not going to talk about it like in depth because, first of all, I'm not a uh, psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm not even a licensed counselor, although I do counseling through ministry and I used to work in mental health and social work. Uh, but we're, we're not even going to get that in depth with it. Um, although I'm sure something could be said about the psychology of fly fishing and the reasons why people do it and all that. But what I want to talk about is much more practical than that. This there There are some as I'm saying it, some really fascinating things that we could talk about and I should maybe explore as it relates to just kind of the, the psychology of the fly fisher and maybe the different profiles of the, the saltwater angler versus the uh, tenkara fisher versus the dry fly purist and things like that. But that's not what we're talking about today. I want to make it practical. How and why what's going on in between your ears may very well impact your cast, your actual fishing, your interaction with fly fishing culture, whether it be in real life or on social media, and even conservation. So we're going to talk about that today. But first, I want to start with an anecdote. Uh, I don't tell enough stories on the podcast, and I need to get better about that. And some of that is just the way that I prepare and all that sort of stuff. But uh, today, I want to tell you an anecdote about how someone's emotions and feelings often got the best of them on the water. So I used to fish in a particular location where it was kind of the same group of guys. It was a lot of people, but a lot of the same people were on the water frequently. And this wasn't my primary fishing spot, but it was actually where I lived very close to. And I would go there frequently, even if not to fish, just to kind of drive by and say hi to people and, and kind of be just part of the, the culture and the community. There's one guy who was super fishy, but he was also kind of a weird dude. And he was prone to having significant emotional responses to what he perceived to be adverse circumstances. So a more succinct way to say that would be that he had a really short fuse. So caught lots of fish, but if something didn't go his way, he would lose it. So that would be he would miss a fish. Uh, he would make a bad cast. He would lose a fly. Somebody would get too close to him, at, you know, either in reality or, or in his perspective. And at that point, you could tell. You could tell that he was irate. His casts got faster. His presentations got splashier. He would move around a lot in the water. He would yell. He would get out, and he would fume on the bank, and he would yell at people from the bank. He would go back to where there was other people, and he would talk to them about what was happening, and it was loud. But the thing that I found most interesting was that this incredibly fishy dude would have something bad happen to him, and then his frustration and anger would multiply because he stopped catching fish and this was a regular complaint this person got too close and i stopped catching fish or i lost that fly and i stopped catching fish now is it possible that somebody gets too close to you and you can stop catching fish because they're spooking them or, or causing some sort of disturbance absolutely could it be that your one special fly was the only fly that the fish were keying in on Yes, that is, is, is within the realm of possibility. However, from my experience with people and from my experience watching this guy, I was pretty confident that it was his attitude and his frustration and his anger and what was happening in his head that was leading to his lack of productivity. Very good angler, knew what he was supposed to be doing, but he just had a hair trigger 
and he couldn't get past that. And I can say this for certainty because I saw it happen on multiple occasions. Other people mentioned effectively the same thing, and it just goes to show that, you know, what did Yogi Berra say about uh, about baseball? That it's 90% mental and the other half is physical? I would say that the same thing's true about fly fishing. And so for all of the hatch matching and water reading and approach uh, calculating that we do, our our emotions and kind of our our headspace is going to also have an impact on how we fish. So I I think we we encounter this most frequently when we are pressing. If we haven't caught a fish in a long time, we end up spending a lot of time not fishing. What do I mean by that? We do silly things like change flies a million times. We move around a whole lot. We end up just staring at the water. I know this has happened to me, and I know this happens to other people, but there's other things that can happen. And so, like I said before, I want to touch on four main things. Casting, your presentation, or that is to say your, your actual fishing, and then even just your response to people and to conservation. So uh, let's start with casting. Casting is a relatively intricate process that involves the synchronization of disparate elements. So you have your hand and the hold that you have on your rod, your uh, pressure that your finger is placing on the cork, your wrist, your forearm, your elbow, your bicep, your shoulder, and then your posture. And then you have to move to make it work. And a lot of that is your brain and your arm and your positioning working in tandem and utilizing muscle memory and performing countless complex math problems to figure out how to cast the line properly, right? And some of us get to where we do that effectively unconsciously. I think most of us do it unconsciously. Under most casting circumstances, we are thinking a step ahead. We're not thinking necessarily about how should I be holding this and where should my hips and my feet be? And and that's fine. That's normal. The problem is, is that when we introduce another variable, then we can have problems. So what happens when you get frustrated? What happens when you get angry? So anger could come from a situation like the dude I was talking about before. Someone gets too close to you. You lose your favorite fly, whatever it might be. You're going to squeeze. You're going to squeeze. You're going to, you're going to hold on tight to that cork. And if you do that and you don't accommodate it or you don't compensate for it in the way you cast, it's going to impact your cast. So are there times where you should be squeezing your your cork when you cast? Yes, there are, are, are certain times where that works. There are certain casts that actually incorporate uh, uh, squeezing tight with your forefinger and your thumb or even with your, your pinky and your ring finger. And, and that what that allows your, your cast to do is to unfold a little bit uh, tighter or even open up. Uh, and, and that is just very, very generally speaking, that you will have a, a tighter uh, loop if you squeeze as you are making your forward application of power. So if you, if you squeeze between your uh, first two fingers and your thumb as you are unloading it, um, that gives that rod tip a little bit of a jerk as it moves forward. And so it's going to speed that cast up. And then inversely, if you squeeze a little bit with your ring finger and your pinky as you're doing that, then it kind of uh, fulcrums it back ever so slightly and it opens it up a little bit. Now, what is the practical application for that? That's not what this podcast is about. But what it goes to show is that there can be a purposeful 
application of, of tension on that cork that impacts your cast. Now, if you're not doing that on purpose and you're not thinking about why you're doing it, what can that do? That can also impact your cast. So you might say, well, that was a lot of talking about just don't squeeze your cork. Well, yes, I get that. But what is it really about? It just goes to show that something as integral as your cast can be impacted by your physical response to your mental state. So what do you do? If you have a bad thing happen, if you, if you, you get frustrated by another angler, if something doesn't go your way in the water, then just take a breath. You had something bad happen. If it is losing a fish, losing a fly, a bad cast, don't compound that by making another bad cast, potentially losing another fly, and potentially losing another fish. So you just take a deep breath. Realize it's just a cast, it's just a fly, it's just a fish, and then start over again. And so, again, that trickles down into your fishing. And, and if you have something unfortunate occur, you miss a fish. I, I think I've told this story before on the podcast. I know I've told it before on the on the, the website. There's an article called The uh, the Fish Yips. That's what it was called. So you, the yips is, is this uh, uh, baseball concept where somebody just basically gets into a, a batting slump and they just they are swinging at the wrong kind of stuff or their accuracy in their pitching or even their throwing uh, is off. And there's really no explanation for it. But everyone kind of assumes it's, it's, it's in the, the ball player's head. And I had this happen to me a couple of times. I can remember where I just could not get a hook set right on fish rising to dry flies. I would consider that kind of my bread and butter for fishing. It's the kind of fly fishing that I started with and kind of my favorite. But there's been times, and and I can picture one situation up in the the Rockies in Colorado, where fish after fish after fish, I I just couldn't get, get it to even touch their mouth. And so I checked the, the hook. I checked my positioning. I moved around. So I was casting like basically straight upstream. And I just, I think I was just doing it too quickly or compensating too much and doing it too slowly, but just not finding that right place. And that had nothing to do with my hook or my rod or my leader or anything like that. I just, my frustration got me into a funk and I had the fish yips. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And it took kind of a recalibration of getting into some really easy fish, uh, catching fish on streamers, uh, just, just so I could have a fish on the line so that I could kind of chill out and approach those fishing situations that I had confidence in, uh, but, but I needed to kind of remind myself that I knew what I was doing. So hopefully it doesn't sound too, you know, uh, flowery or anything like that. Hopefully that can, that can be helpful for you. You're casting and you're fishing. Uh, but there's all sorts of, of emotions and feelings and reactions that can impact us while we're on the water. Anger, frustration. I would even say, and, and I don't, I'm not saying this to make light of this, but depression and anxiety. Uh, you know, if, if you retreat to the water because you are really struggling I've said this before, water and fly fishing can be a part of your therapy, but it's not your therapy. If it is clinical, then you need to seek clinical help. And and I'm not, again, I'm not making light of that situation. It is part of what I would call your your treatment package. Um, It needs to be in tandem with uh, doing what you're supposed to be doing uh, for your health, for medication, and for for therapy. And then fly fishing can be a significant component of that. And, you know, 
you don't have to look very hard these days to find a story of somebody who's overcome something very, very difficult, either physically or emotionally, uh, utilizing fly fishing, but they never say, I just went to the river and I lived like a hermit, and then I overcame, or I'm, I'm, I'm progressing a lot in my recovery because of that. It's always done in tandem with some, some much more tried and true methods. I think that fly fishing can do a lot for us. I think that being out in creation can do a lot for us but it can't be on its own. So um, that's just a little bit of a, an, an aside. The last two things I want to talk about before I get to the, uh, the closing segments of the podcast, talking about what was on Casting Across this weekend, and I, I want you to stick around for that, as well as uh, my recommendation, which is a brand new product I got a couple weeks ago and I played with and, and I want to share with you. Uh, the last two things I want to talk about is our interaction, your interaction, my interaction, with fly fishing culture, Social media, conservation, things like that. Now, we are in a very polarized time, right? This is being recorded on the 6th of January. Pretty dark day for our country. and I'm not going to get into that too much, but simply to illustrate that it is very easy to have an angry reaction to stuff in the world. I mean, it just makes sense. But anger is a good thing. Anger can be a very good thing, um, but it needs to be anger on a leash. It needs to be anger contained. And so when you see something you don't like on fly fishing social media, so again, very, very narrow focus, but I think that sometimes if we look at something small, it can kind of inform something large. We see something on fly fishing social media that we don't like. We see a conservation measure that's being taken. Either we think it's too strict, we think that it is too lenient, we think that it is even just improperly applied. What is the solution? Is it to get angry and then go on a tirade and yell at somebody both over your keyboard or in person, which happens a whole lot less? People are very, very brave especially in the fly fishing community. I think that's probably true everywhere. I see a lot in fly fishing. People say things online through a couple of taps to their thumbs that they would never say to anyone's faces. But all that to say, conversations matter. Most people are reasonable. Most people would love to hear your opinion and have a conversation with you and maybe justify, explain, or rationalize why they're doing what they're doing that you had no clue before you kind of rushed to judgment. It might not change your mind, but now maybe you're going to have a, a bigger picture. But you're going to win a lot more flies with honey than you are with vinegar. And so I guess this is certainly not as practical as your casting and your fishing. But as it relates to the differing opinions that we have with others in fly fishing for gear choices, for angling techniques, for maybe even certain ethical gray areas, and then conservation. Remember, if you get fired up, your voice is not going to be the voice that's listened to. You are a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal, to quote a much better author than myself, when we don't speak with uh, a softened, uh, loving tone. So that's my encouragement to you. I think we'd be, all be a lot better off in fly fishing, in our homes, in our communities, and in our world if we realize that we do have emotions and they need to be in check uh, more often than not. Plus, you're going to be a better caster, which, you know, that never hurts. This week on Casting Across, 
The first article was called All Things Bright and Beautiful. All Things Bright and Beautiful. And this was uh, certainly not a eulogy, um, but just a very brief uh, tribute to my grandmother who passed away last week at the age of 89. I was able to go and preach at her funeral, and I was actually able to go and spend time with her the previous week. Uh, one of the silver linings of this awful, terrible COVID situation, and, and she did not pass away from COVID, uh, thankfully, um, but one of the, the, the silver linings to this whole kind of time that we're in is that airline tickets are cheap, and getting on and off an airplane is very, very seamless. Um, and so I was able to get out to the Midwest and spend some time with her and come back and then go, go back again for the funeral. But she and my grandfather were farmers, and their time on the farm and my time that I spent with them had a significant impact at the way that I view nature. And so although beef cattle and genetically modified soybeans aren't the same kind of nature as uh, native brook trout up in the mountain, uh, there definitely is a correlation. And for me, it was very, very profound in understanding our role as stewards and the care that we show for the things that we've been entrusted with. So a uh, brief article, probably less words in the article than I just, just used talking about it just now. But again, that was called All Things Bright and Beautiful. And then the next article is called Ice Fly Fishing. Ice, and then in parentheses, fly fishing. So I talk about fly fishing in and around ice. How in the world do you do that? Why do you do that? Well, read the article to find out. I actually think, and I found uh, from my time fishing, um, moving water that has ice in the banks, that there can be a lot of benefits, a few treacherous things for you and your stuff to be aware of, but uh, there can be some great eye-opening experiences from watching how the water moves and how the fish relate to the water when the ice is there. Um, ice is not our enemy. It's different. It's not normal. It's, it's only there a few months out of the year, but the trout are used to it. Uh, they adapt to it better than we do. So if you want to think about this in a purely fishing perspective, uh, looking at a couple of things I mentioned in the article ever so briefly, and again, hopefully sending you down a path of discovery on your own, uh, you know, you want to gain the upper hand. Don't let these few months be the few months that trout uh, are, are winning, For uh, uh, if you want to think about it in a competitive sense. So that's called ice fly fishing. This week's recommendation on the podcast comes from a company called South Fork Products. You can find them at southforkproducts.com. And they are listeners to the podcast and readers of the website. And they sent me a new product they've come out with called the Magnetic Fly Holder. Guess what it does? It holds flies with magnets. And the cool thing about this is it is a product that doesn't pin. Um, it doesn't pin and it doesn't pinch. So I have, I don't know how many tools and gadgets that can hold flies. And some of them advertise that they can do a lot of different things, but I only use them for one thing. Um, and I only use them in one or two different places. Part of the reason being I don't like moving things around if it, it's a little bit cumbersome. Um, but anyway, back back to these these products. So it comes in two different sizes. There's the Solo, which is about the size of a half dollar, if you've ever held one of those. Um, not a lot of them in circulation anymore. A little bit bigger than a quarter. 
and it is a little steel plate with a rubberized magnet cup. Pretty shallow, uh, maybe uh, three-eighths of an inch uh, lip, and then it goes down into a little bit of a cup. And so the idea is you put the steel plate behind shirt, waders, uh, vest, and then you snap the magnet on the front, and it stays there without putting a hole in something. So the application I found to be the best, especially for this solo, although the, the duo, which is a little, it's like two of them next to each other um, to hold more flies and a little bit more space, is waders. I mean, you don't want to clip something on your waders. And, and if you have a pair of waders that doesn't have some sort of integrated fly holding pouch or, or um, you know, place you can snip something onto, this is an awesome way to do that. And it keeps your flies out of the way, especially if you have bigger flies. So that is, is my favorite application so far. You can also put it on the strap of your waders or of your chest pack or something like that. And you're not going to have to put a hole in something, especially if you have... Um, a waterproof material. That is one of the big downsides of waterproof packs is that you don't want to put something that has a pin on it through it. Um, so this is a great solution for using it on waterproof uh, bags, waders, or wading jackets. I think this is probably my favorite application. Um, the other thing is that they have little clips on the top so you can use a uh, just a, a carabiner or a clip, a zinger, something like that, and you can, you can hang it off the side of, of whatever you're using. Um, the last application that I, I will mention is the magnets are crazy strong if you have a boat and there's some place where the, the frame is thinner, um, so like on a, a kayak where um, right right where you put your legs underneath, uh, you can put the magnet on the front and the steel plate behind it, and it will absolutely hold. And then as far as the magnets for holding flies, uh, moving around, I felt like I was not putting it through the paces, so I just put a couple flies on there and just whipped it around my room, which very, very bad if it hadn't worked to have flies flying all over my carpet, but everything held solidly. So again, uh, the magnetic fly holder is by South Fork Products, come in a number of different colors, super heavy duty. Uh, definitely check it out. I'm going to put a link to their website where you can buy these cool little guys um, on the show notes to this podcast page on castingacross.com. I think it's really cool. Again, uh, my favorite application for these is on waterproof products where you don't want anything pinching or crimping. Uh, There's a nice, secure, but flat and evenly applied pressure um, holding this on there. So definitely check it out if you are looking for something that will fit that bill. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.